Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I'm here with Joe Risi. Hello. Hi. And today we're doing a testimony podcast. And so the way that we do testimony podcasts on here is basically there's like no rules around it. You get to tell your testimony, your entire story, kind of from when you were born to when you became a Christian, and then from when you became a Christian to now. And so it can be as long or as short as you want it to be, and you can start wherever you want. I always suggest to start when you were born. And so after that, I mean, through that, I'll probably interrupt you and ask you different questions, but this is your story, so you go ahead, and I'll interrupt you when I have to. So there you go. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm going to frame something just a little bit uh, first. So... I always feel a little nervous telling my story because there, there's a lot of hard stuff that happened in my family. And I know that's common for testimonies, but um, I just want to emphasize that like this story is other people's story too. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm telling it obviously from my perspective and the ways that it impacted me, but it's just been hard on my all my family members. So mm-hmm. if they listen or if anyone listens who knows them, there you go. There you go. Um, okay, so when I was three, I had ALL, which is a form of leukemia, childhood leukemia. And so those are like my first memories mm-hmm. as a person. Um, and I don't remember a lot from it. But what I do remember is mostly like brief moments in the hospital. I remember being alone a lot in the hospital. And I remember just knowing that I could end, like not knowing what death was, mm-hmm. but just having the sense of like, I could stop. Yeah. Um, and there's this one memory that I have where I was going to go under for a surgery, but I don't remember knowing what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a son who's four, so it's crazy to me now to think of like being younger than that. But uh, I didn't know what was going on and I had to put this mask on. And I remember the nurse like showing me what was going to happen. And I thought I was going to die. Like I just thought like this is done now. Um, And so that's just one memory I have. But um, yeah, that's just what stuck with me from the experience. That and that uh, other people weren't really there. There wasn't someone to like help me through it. Uh, because I was in the hospital. Now that I'm an adult, I know I was there for six weeks, staying in the hospital. So, uh, I think your parents would come visit. Or yeah. No. Okay, they would. Yeah. yeah. So I remember my mom being there once. I don't know how much they were there, or not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So something from that that I took away was that, again, this is like me now looking back and how it impacted me because these were just impressions as a kid but I remember thinking that something was very different about me so Mm -hmm. even when I was in uh, grade school I remember kind of walking around sometimes and just thinking I had cancer like (laughs) and no one knew about it it was something we didn't ever talk about as a family Um, and so I remember feeling really different and like something was wrong with me um, compared to other other kids Mm -hmm. and I think that's important to I kind of want to pause there for a second because that dynamic really impacted my understanding of myself in my family Um, because like you'll hear people say in counseling or like guidance counselors say like 
it wasn't your fault or there's nothing wrong with you or and those things are true but as a kid when someone treats you differently uh you just you like absorb that and it's very Mm -hmm. obvious um and so that has that really just stuck with me uh then my sister was born so i'm the oldest in my family my sister was born when i was like when i had leukemia and she was like a baby and so um there's sort of this dynamic between us and she's aware of this too um but there's a dynamic between us where I sort of was the kid who like caused pain and that's something that's really stuck with me and she was the the kid who brought my family a lot of joy Hmm. um again this is like no one's fault it's just sort of like the dynamic of birth order me being sick um so you you were the oldest in your family yeah your oldest kid I'm the oldest kid okay yep so I have two siblings I'm first um and then my sister is two years younger than me and then my brother mm-hmm. so um yeah so that um all happened when i was between like three and five is when i i went into remission when i was five so that meant the cancer was gone and then um after that i remember um like feeling like i don't know i was just very quiet i was very afraid as a kid at night i wouldn't i was not able to fall asleep ever like hardly ever i had nightmares and like um i got really nervous my heart would beat really fast i know now that it's like ptsd so um from the from the from like almost dying okay and like no one really talking about it yeah yeah yeah. So wait, can yeah. I clarify something? Yeah. So you you were a you were a kid and you were doing this. You were at the hospital, mm-hmm. and no, and like your parents never t- discussed how, how these things like why the stuff was happening, or they did never discuss that stuff. Not that I remember. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just they're just like once you were done with it, then you were done with it, and there mm-hmm. was no other discussion about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yikes. it's really interesting because um, there's someone at our church who her job is she's a social worker and she walks with um, she works at the hospital children's hospital and she walks with families who their kid is going through cancer and their the parents and the relationship and. I was talking with her just really recently and she was explaining her job and I said, that is like my family. And she said that didn't, this job that I have, we didn't do that when you were young. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot, there wasn't this like yeah. grieving process or processing. It was, in my experience, it was very much, it happened. No one really talked about it, even while it was happening. And then it was done. Yeah. And we didn't talk about it. But huh. it was... Um, pain, like if it's not processed, just stays there. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's really carries out through the rest of the story uh, for all my family members, I think. So um, when, yeah. So then growing up, I just, I remember feeling very, I, I've already kind of said that. Okay. I'm going to speed up to when I was 10. So when mm-hmm. I was 10, um, my 10 or 11 my um parents separated however it was again very abrupt (laughs) no conversation about it my parents didn't fight we that i remember 
before that, we were part of a um, church that was like an evangelical Bible church. My parents were, we had small group at our house. We had like, my parents were in the youth ministry, I think, um, that I remember. And we were very involved in our church. And yes, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. When, when you said separate, does that mean they divorced or they just separated for a time? Or are you saying like they just they, divorced? No, they, so what happened was my, there was one day when I was playing outside and I couldn't find my, my mom or my dad. Um, it was after church. I remember at church feeling like weird vibes between my parents and mm-hmm. my dad was sitting like really far away. And then... Oh. Yeah, like, like just yeah. distant yeah, and like really just preoccupied. Yeah. Um, and then I, we got home. I couldn't find my parents huh. anywhere. We had kind of, we had like a big yard in the country. I was running around trying to find them and I saw them in the garage and my dad was talking to my mom and my mom, my mom was, they were actually, they were both crying, I think. And then a little bit later in the day, um, I, I just remember like little blips of it. But later in the day, we were in the dining room and my dad was, his back was turned to us and he was like going out the door with a duffel bag. And my mom was just standing there. And I, again, don't remember anyone saying anything about what was going on. Yeah. And now, like as we've processed, my family has processed things, my sister will say that she thought my dad was going on another mission trip. He had just gotten back from a mission trip. So she was like, oh, he's going to Nepal. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no one, we yeah. didn't say, no one said anything about what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then he was just gone. And then um, he was gone for a weekend. And then I remember he came back and it was just in and out for a couple, for about a year he came he left and then came back and then he would leave for a while and then he got an apartment and then he came back after a little while um and like when you say come back he would just come back to visit or he'd stay at the house he would come back to live with us oh wow mm-hmm. okay for a little while and um yeah then there was one day where he did when he got an apartment he took like the couch and some furniture and i remember my friend coming over and saying, where's your dad and where's your couch? <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's just working late. So um, for me, there was very much this, like, we don't, this isn't, there was so much silence around it, like, because no one was talking to me about it. It just felt like we don't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell anyone, uh, even though it's probably really obvious what was happening. Um, and so I think that what what stuck with me about in that moment was sort of this, like I knew it. Like when I think about that moment of him walking out the door, I feel a lot of um, shame. Like I, I see how he's like not looking at us and um, I feel shame. I feel like I knew it, that this would happen. Mm. That's sort of a like post-processing thought. But I think what I mean by that is I had already felt like there's something wrong with me and like, I'm not worthy enough for someone to do the right to like stay, Mm -hmm. um, because of 
just some memories I had already had some like really hard things and feeling different and feeling like I'm a pro like I cause people pain like I know my parents had a hard time when I had cancer and it was just this thing that people were trying to avoid and that thing was also me like Mm -hmm. in reality um, I know that's not why they got divorced, but that's yeah. sort of like this. Well, when you're a kid and you're, you're seeing a kid, this you stuff, don't know. Yeah, you yeah. just start to think, okay, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So feel this feeling of I am a problem. Like I cause problems more mm-hmm. than more than I'm a problem, maybe, but they feel the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so after that point, I don't remember a lot from those years which I know happens when you experience suffering and really intense, hard periods. Um, so that this is now where I'm like entering middle school. Um, I remember that my, so my mom was also pretty absent during this time because she was, she had just been abandoned. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, she was very, emotionally absent I look when I think about that time period I think of the door being her her, like bedroom door she's in her room a lot and I just think of like a shut door Hmm. like when I I just remember kind of going to I could hear her behind it crying um Hmm. and my siblings and I were just I don't know I don't we were a mess also but didn't know it and didn't know what to do so I was the oldest and my I sort of took over the like trying to rein in the chaos role, which I know is typical for an oldest sibling to do. And um, I was, I mean, my siblings hated that also. No one likes that. So that also created this like, I don't know, my siblings would play together, but I didn't play with them because I was sort of the parent figure. That makes sense. And um, Hmm. it was also really hard. Uh, because we were just really mean to each other. There were times where I think we probably could have like literally killed each other potentially. Um, cause my brother was like five and he, I remember there was one situation where he like, he was chasing us with a, like a chef's knife, (laughs) my sister and I, and we were running away screaming and he was like playing, but, but it was a also thing. it's a knife like yeah. it was not funny <laughs> right. yeah. and so we were screaming and running away and like I remember we were holding the closet door just like trying to hold it shut and like so he wouldn't come get us and he was pulling on it and we were trying to pull it back and it was just really terrifying because yeah. we didn't know what was going to happen and then he stopped I don't know why he stopped but he did so that was sort of our family dynamic at that time Yeah. Um, this during this all of this still no one really talking about anything in our family so we also were still part of this church my mom still attended with us and that was another moment of like we're too messy or we're too much feeling um because i'm we had people at our house all the time we had small groups at our house uh we had i I mentioned we were really involved in our church and after that point there was no one who ever came over anymore. Oh. Um, I remember one time there was a, a lady who came over because she was needed to touch base with my mom about Sunday school. My mom used to teach Sunday school. And 
she walked into this like massive family fight <laughs> between my siblings and I and like basically was a peacekeeper and it was super embarrassing as a family we were just like mm-hmm. I felt mortified how old were you I was like 12 11 oh, or 12 okay so um just felt like there is something really wrong with us that like other people I don't know how other people have it together but we don't <laughs> did you did, did, did this church did you guys stop going to church? Did they like kick you out of the church? Did the church nothing? No. So we we kept going. Okay. Uh, my dad no longer attended the church, but yeah. my mom did, and in a in a way they were also. I'll get to this in a minute, mm-hmm. but this was kind of the hard part. So there was just people would say things to me about my dad. I think they were trying to be helpful or like yeah. sympathetic, but things like. I don't know, just not great. But just like you'll, we would talk about being with my dad because we still saw him. And they would say things like, well, you'll never be like your dad or things like that. I mean, my dad is also a really nice person and really kind. And people are more complex than their mistakes. And So it was like, yeah, you'll never be like your dad as they were trying to say that in a way that would encourage you or something. But you're like, that's my dad. And also I I see him every week. Yeah. And you kind of want to be like your dad in a lot of ways. Right. No matter what. So that's just a weird thing to say to a kid. Right. Yeah. Um, And I remember we had to be gone every other week. So because we were with my dad every other week. And so Hmm. I remember a Sunday school teacher saying to me one time, she pulled me aside after Sunday school and said that I should be there every week and asked me why I wasn't. And I said, well, I have to go to my dad's house. And she was sort of like, that's not acceptable. I was like, well. How how old are you? Like. 12. I, I, this is all in the same period. Will you, you like get a car? I don't know. Going to, yeah, that's... But I mean, it's to emphasize that I don't remember other people with divorced parents at yeah. my church. It's a small town. Um, this was Baraboo, right? Yeah. I don't know if I, yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. I grew up in Sauk, which yeah. was like, what, 15 minutes away? And actually and, my dad lived in Sauk, so I was there a lot. And I well. can, I can know like the small town feeling. Yeah. Like some of these things are amplified in the small town. Like if your family's like messed up in a small town, it feels like your families were really messed up because it's a small town and maybe other families don't feel as messed up. Mm -hmm. My family was messed up in the small town. So yeah. Yes. I understand. It's weird because people know you, they know everything about you by observation. Like they know your name, they know your family. They see it all unfold, like yep. at the KFC. You know, yeah. you're just like, yeah. oh, I saw that. Yep. But they, yeah. but they also don't. They feel uncomfortable, and so they don't really know you. They like don't yes. enter into right. it with you. Right. Um, yeah, it's weird. And it's so a weird you dynamic. feel this weird, like, is any, is this just fine because no one's saying anything? Yeah. Or, um, I mean, it feels terrible. But yeah. it also feels normal because hmm. people are just sort of ignoring it. Yeah. So. Um, what was I going to I'm trying to remember where I was at. So this lady told you that you should come to church oh, yeah. every Sunday and you were like, I'm at my dad's house every week. Yeah. Every other week. So there were moments like that that just felt like, again, we are some sort of messed up. That other people aren't. <laughs> um, and during this time, though, this was um, really how I s- started. I mean, I, I knew about God the whole time mm-hmm. because I had grown up in the church. But um, 
just started, I think God started pursuing me in this way. But my mom asked uh, our youth leaders, uh, or some of our youth leaders at the time, to spend time with me and my siblings, especially me, because I was in the youth group at the time. And I didn't know that until later, but I still really appreciate it. I don't feel like it was fake or something like that because she did that. Um, But they had me over, they started having me over every week. And when I got to youth group, like they were the, they always came over and said, hi, I didn't have very many friends during this time. Um, You were, what's the age here? Like 13. So another, in middle school still. Middle school, like almost like late middle school. Okay. Um, And... I was there at their house every week. Just, they didn't talk to me. They didn't have like sit down talks with me about God or Jesus. We just ate pizza and had cookies and watched movies. But um, it was really important. And I didn't realize how important it was until later. But it was very important for me to have a place to land and be at home and to be seen and noticed when it felt like no one else was seeing me Mm. and noticing me. So, um, that is a really important part of my story, even though it's kind of a small thing, like just to have someone over every week and do fun things with them. But we that talked, is a huge point. We talked about that. Like that's something yeah, that you've right. been like even more passionate about now. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just close their doors and Christians just close their doors. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all for the like people coming over like, okay, so we're here in the basement at your house right now. And my friend Joey is sitting here with us too. Um, shout out to Joey. But Joey is always coming over to our house mm-hmm. and just hanging out with my parents and stuff like that. And I, that's like what I think it should be like. And, right. I, and I think that that makes a significant impact on people, especially mm-hmm. high schoolers and middle schoolers and, this, and college students, to just have a place that feels like home mm-hmm. to go to that you can trust the people. I think yep. that that's actually far more important than people even understand, probably. Well, in present, the, the presence of someone, that's the difference between what we were talking about before, where you might be like sort of known by people. Like yeah. they know who you are. They know your whole story. They see you from afar. Right. But it's different to be, to intentionally enter into someone, mm-hmm. someone's life mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to walk with you. It was probably awkward for this couple. I've never mm-hmm. talked with them about how they felt about it, but I mean, they didn't act like it was awkward, yeah. but they were, they knew my parents. They like knew what went down. They, it was probably hard for them to feel like it was a hard situation for them too. Yeah. It, it would have been kind of uncomfortable, right. but they were deciding to right. enter into someone's pain yeah. over their own un- yeah. um discomfort so yeah instead of like running away from the situation like due to like being uncomfortable right they yeah. were just like this is probably gonna be weird and awkward and that's the biggest thing we'll get back to to the pestoni in a second but i want to rant on this for a second okay. because <laughs> i get frustrated about this because that's a form of decide that is discipleship, it is discipleship in a lot of ways and because so, i trusted them so exactly. i talked to them yeah exactly and mm-hmm. you have older people i'll talk to older people in the church and i'll be like we need more discipleship you guys need to start like like the older people in the church need to like get off their lazy butt and start caring for the younger people because the younger people aren't going to take initiative because they're not developed enough in, mm-hmm. in maturity. And there's always the excuse that I hear every time from the older people like, man, they're, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think it's uncomfortable. They're going to think this is stupid. And I'm always like, uh, okay, 
then that's a risk that you take for the for the betterment mm-hmm. of another human being like based off the gospel that's what Jesus did to you and so I don't know it's just yeah. I get so frustrated when I hear this excuse after excuse when that that could literally save somebody's life like you don't know what that little mm-hmm. thing could do just letting somebody in the house to eat dinner with you once a week could save a human being's life mm-hmm. so like open up the door and be a little bit uncomfortable. I don't yeah. know. So whatever, you can continue. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, I was in middle school, so I was awkward. I think people are scared they're going to yeah. be awkward. I was in middle school. Yeah. You can't be more awkward than me, yeah. and everyone is a little awkward. And nobody's going to... If you're giving them food, yeah, they're and gonna, like, they're gonna be no fine. college student, high school student, or middle school student is going to turn that down, no. they'll just be like, okay, I got to go to this place to eat free food every week. This is great. Yeah, they want to know that they're accepted f- yes. for where they're at. Right, they're all, yep. we're all confused up until we're like 30. So you just feel figure, you know, well, uh, yeah. even older than that. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So that is, yes, yeah. I totally agree. Very passionate about that. It yeah. will, those things will come up later in my story too. Yeah. But, uh, that was the first window of just honestly hope. Like mm-hmm. I, I, from a very young age when I was three, just carried so much and I think my understanding of the world was this is just what I have to do this alone like I don't know what all this hard stuff is but what am I going to do with it Mm -hmm. I mean there's no one to take it from me so there was just a a window of um like a ray of light of I'm not alone someone sees me and that was really important for me so um okay so then However, I mean, that was good. However, I had still not processed any of this stuff my entire life. Yeah. So, uh, I, when I was in high school, I was entering high school. My dad got remarried, and this woman had actually been in his life for a long time. And another part of the story is that I knew... I knew about her. He didn't tell us, but I knew about it. So what do you mean you knew about it? I just knew that they were dating and without him telling us, I figured it out. Yeah. Cause I was old enough to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, they, they didn't know that, but, but you did, there were just little things. And I just, there was one moment where I remember I got something for Christmas and, it was like a, it was kind of like a girly thing. <laughs> and my, it was from my dad. Yeah. And I actually said, did this person pick it out? And I was thinking of his nurse in, so he's a doctor, but I was thinking of his nurse and I was like, is, is, I don't, I don't remember what I said, but I thought I was thinking of her and I let the other name slip basically. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, I mean this other person. Mm-hmm. And nothing ever came of that. But yeah. I just knew about it and didn't say anything. So that's another thing. Um, but you knew that he couldn't pick that out probably. So it had to have been a, a Which a is fema. suspicious. I don't yeah. know. It was just, I mean, yeah. He he does pick out very nice gifts. But oh, really? Yeah. It just was, yeah, I it was suspicious. I suck at picking out gifts. <laughs> so if, I don't know how, to, I wouldn't know how to pick out a gift for a daughter. Mm. That's confusing. That's not the point of the story. Yeah, that's fine. But that's, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I think my point is that mm. it was another yeah. moment of like, I just am, I just remember as a kid, just always trying to anticipate mm. what was going to fall apart, I think. Yeah. And so I just, I picked up a lot of things um, because 
it wasn't talked about. So I felt mm-hmm. like I have to, I was just always sort of in this like survival mm. mode of trying to protect myself. I think. Was um, it, was, sorry, I'm asking a lot okay. of questions, but was it, was it like, was it more like protecting yourself or was it like preparation for the big reveal in, yeah. some, in some ways? Like, because no, it feels knowing like that protecting yourself. Yeah, but maybe it's, it's both of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's not no way to protect yourself. Because I, I was, my family was similar. It was like, I always felt like I was waiting for the next explosion, mm-hmm. and there was no way to prevent it. But there was a way to prepare for it to get you at least ready to be able to handle it in some way, so you could go back to school the next day and like mm-hmm. be a functional mm-hmm. person. And I and I, and I don't know. Yeah, that sounds like, am am I wrong or not? That's very accurate. It feels like when everything feels so out of control, I mean, humans will try to find a way to control something. Right. Even if it's fake. Like, I wasn't controlling anything. Yeah. It just felt like I was mentally Mm. in control if I knew about it. Right. Or I thought I knew about it. Yeah. And if everybody else was freaking out when Mm -hmm. they heard about it. Right. And you're not. You're like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, then you yeah. can kind of be like the sane person in the room mm-hmm. where it's like nobody's actually sane because this is just, in all these situations, it's like this is just a weird thing that happened and nobody's really sane. I just prepared for this a little bit better. Yeah. It's weird. And it, it sort of is this, I've seen this negatively impact relationships now when I've, I've seen repercussions of these behaviors, but I had sort of this aloofness over all of it. Like, oh, that doesn't bother me because... I felt like I knew about it, so it felt like I was prepared. Yeah. But I had never, ever let myself feel any of it. Yeah. Because I was just always... Moving to the next thing. Trying to, like, yeah. get ready. Yeah. You know? So, um... <sighs> this is... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, this is... <laughs> I feel this because this is, like, my childhood. Yeah, it's so it's intense. It's a weird thing. It's really hard to articulate. Especially to people I've, who have never experienced it before, but you're just anticipating something else. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know yes. it's going to happen. And I need to prepare for this because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to function. I can't mm-hmm. actually deal with life in any capacity, basically, and... And so you're just always preparing for the next ex- explosion mm-hmm. is what I always would think about it like. And Yeah, for me, it wasn't as explosive like fighting. It was sure. more of like that just that what I thought was a foundation just yeah. completely crumbled. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a and good way of saying it. So so you're not sure what you can stand on and yeah. I, you don't trust anything. You're just you just don't think any yeah. you don't. That's where I to go back a little bit when I when I talked about my dad leaving that first time that was sort of the feeling of I knew it like I knew I knew it would happen I didn't know it was going to happen really but it was that sense of I of I'm not surprised right yeah (laughs) by this kind of thing yeah um wow yeah Mm -hmm. so it's helpful to have you here because it is really hard for me to articulate this sometimes so it's helping it's the foundation thing was a better way of saying it because I I called explosions (laughs) but I know when my parents split up in middle school and they got ended up getting back together but I felt like all of whatever I had ever stood Mm -hmm. on and and could trust in my whole life just shattered into a billion pieces Mm -hmm. and there was nothing left for me and I was just a lost human being in this like darkness and you just had no flashlight you're just walking around in this dark room trying to not fall off the edge of whatever it's very disorienting because 
the way I've described it before is like that a bomb went off and people are like bleeding and like don't have an arm, mm-hmm. but then everyone's acting like it's a normal Tuesday. Yeah. And you're like, like did people everyone are dying. see yeah. that? Like, yeah, right. Did something just happen? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I think this is important to talk about because divorce in our culture is very, I mean, people want to be able to do what they want. Right. And so it's very Without much repercussions. Right. Yeah. And so it's very much accepted and like kids are resilient and uh-huh. kids are resilient. That is true. However, it makes a huge impact on a kid. And I suppose by like it, what if they mean by resilient that kids can continue to live, then like, yeah, they're resilient. But if you mean that like kids are able to process through the damage that has been done, mm-hmm. then the answer is absolutely not. Because I grew up by everybody that I grew up around, mm-hmm. like in my neighbor, like in my neighborhood on my street. So I had my house. There's a house to my left, house to my right, house across the street, house down Every single one of them, by the time I was um, 14, where everybody was, all their parents were divorced. Mm. When we moved in, they were all married. Every single house divorced. And I was friends with the kids, and the kids were always like, I think this is my fault. Like, I don't know. And, And some of those kids I know now, and I know what they're doing now, and their lives are an absolute mess because, and I don't want to blame it completely on this, but it's like, these kids, no, no eight-year-old has the mental capacity to try to figure out why their mother and father can't stick it out Mm -hmm. and try to like be married for their sake because the bottom line is that they actually and this is like people don't want to hear this but like it is a selfish thing to do to just it's not for the sake of of Mm -hmm. i don't we don't like each other anymore that's why we just can't be married no like you actually just like in a lot of ways, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people are might get mad at this. I don't care. Like you, you're by divorcing, you're performing some sort of hatred on your children, and that's what I felt when my mom kicked my dad out. I was like, "You do you hate me or something?" And I think that that's something that people don't think about. They don't want to think about it because they don't want to think about the repercussions of their actions, and their kids start to resent them because of that, mm-hmm. and then it causes a whole other, you know, problems yeah. down the line. And I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and it's so tricky because. Like nothing happens in a vacuum. So Mm -hmm. those marriage problems are also super hard. Like when I think about my mom being pretty absent, she was going through something so terrible. So it's like, but that does impact someone else. And so that's where like, we have to, we have to, yeah, it's so nuanced to talk about, which we can, we, we can't get into all of that here. Yeah. Real quick. I want to say this because... It is crazy the parallels because when you talk about the door shut and your and, and your mom being mm-hmm. behind there and you could hear her crying, that exact same thing was my mom in her room crying night after night mm-hmm. after night after night. Door shut. She it was like she wasn't even living there, mm-hmm. but she was up there yeah. and you knew that she was up there. And my dad wasn't home. Yeah. And you could you just as a kid you're just like come home, and like what is going on here? <laughs> and like I can't wait for school tomorrow so I don't have to deal with this yeah. crap basically or something yeah. like that. And when you get to that feeling of feeling like something is wrong with you or that it's your fault or that I think it's this feeling of unwantedness. Yeah. Um, I think that's so important to recognize because there is an element of you have, you just have to grapple with that. Yeah. I think it's really easily like platitudes are put on that. Like, Oh, you're so special. Like you're so important. But if Mm -hmm. you have those experiences, every, like you have so much evidence stacked against those statements. And so 
it just takes a lot. It really impacts you right. and it takes a lot to overcome that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we could talk a long time about I know. all of well, that. We should do a we podcast just on, well, I don't even know what that would be called. What I don't would know. that be called? We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll do a podcast, a podcast on that coming soon. Okay. Whatever that is. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that thing <laughs> is. We figure out how we'll to articulate it. Two, yeah. That's, that's what we'll do. Okay. Well, we, sh- we should, I will. I'm trying to figure out how to move on from that. Um, or move where to, where to go next. Okay, I got it. So, I yes, I hadn't processed any of this. All the stuff we were talking about. That feeling of unwantedness, that feeling of, like, I was a... Something really difficult surrounding me happened in my family. And all of that. I had not processed any of that. And I prepared and tried to self-protect and didn't tell... None of my friends... I didn't really have friends at this point because I didn't tell them anything about my life. So, you can't really have friends when you do that. <laughs> And, uh, so now I'm like entering, I'm a freshman in high school and I remember my dad got remarried. So I think, I think this kind of happened. This was another like personal implosion. And I think it happened because it was sort of a trigger of like the initial divorce because he got remarried. So it was sort of like a, oh yeah, this is my life kind of moment. Yeah. And, um, I started, I, I just started like it was a control thing for sure but I remember thinking consciously I get good grades like I'm I have some friends like I might have a pretty good life it could be better if I was just um skinnier like if I was just Mm -hmm. was like better at sports and if I was Mm -hmm. I I was in track so that was part of it and I remember seeing these girls and they were really fast and they were really thin and they didn't eat anything at meats and I came with this like ginormous lunch because <laughs> I really like food yeah. honestly and did you um, pack it yourself yeah I mean I just brought like PB&J I, and like candy I don't know just Jill, I was a middle the kids sport. who were disciplined enough to pack their own lunch I also really liked food but I was never disciplined enough to pack my own lunch, so I just wouldn't eat. So I was always yeah. thought it was weird that kids well, were packing their own lunch but that's cool I did I did when I was at my mom packed it sometime. I can't remember. At my dad's house, I had to pack it. It would just yeah. depend on where I was. What were your events, by the way? Uh, in track. Yeah. Uh, the mile and the two mile. Oh, wow. Well. Fun. <laughs> I can't go fast, good. but I can go for a long time. For a long time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I remember just having that thought of, like, I should be... If I was skinnier, like, I would... It would just... My life would be better. And I would be faster. And I don't know. I just thought of this improvement thing. <laughs> but I stopped eating as much i would remember i was reading runner's world or something and they were like talking about counting calories i didn't had no idea what calories were until that mm. point and so i started like it was this thing i could control i was like it felt sort of like a high i mean it's to if you hadn't to not okay. to like think about how i could cut something and like it was like a game it mm. was like this okay. constant game huh. and it was something i could just mentally do yeah. and feel like I could control and um so I developed I was anorexic I didn't know that I didn't even know what eating disorders were at the time I just did this thing in my head and didn't eat yeah. and lost what a lot did of weight that go down to like mm-hmm. I don't know much about like I know I know what being anorexic is mm-hmm. but what did that mean like what was your like calorie intake like what were you eating what like mm-hmm. what were how much really weren't you little. eating I ended up at this point at the lowest point, I didn't eat any dairy or protein. Um, 
I ate like basically granola bars. I measured out cereal and ate like a cup, whatever the serving size said. I guess I ate, I did have skim milk, but I didn't, I don't know. This is another period of my life where it's really hard to remember. Um, Basically, I ate fruit and vegetables and some grain, but it was probably like not much. Four, five hundred calories a day. Really? Eight hundred calories a day. Um, And I remember the lowest point. I was ninety-seven pounds. Ninety-seven pounds, Mm -hmm. and you were like fourteen or Mm fifteen. And what was? What were you supposed? I don't know what you're supposed to be. I was one forty before. Oh, okay. So that's a big jump. Okay. So at this point, I'm also very lonely, like Mm -hmm. also really depressed. Okay. Again, don't know what any of those things really are. Yeah. You're just, yeah. (laughs) Just, it's just your life. It's very consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember at lunchtime at school, I would hide because I, it was really obvious that I was being dysfunctional in my own life. Um, so I would hide during lunch in the bathroom. I'm asking a lot of questions. That's fine. Okay, but... This is helpful for me to ask questions because there's yeah. so much and I could go in so many directions, so... Did people ever say to you, like, you mean, maybe you should eat more? Like, why are you not... I don't know if these are things that you should say to people who are anorexic, but, like, I don't know. Somebody might get mad. But, like, it, what what did people say, like... They had to have noticed it. That's, mm-hmm. that's over 40 pounds. You have to notice yeah. that. What did people say? So, um, I really isolated myself. It's mm. not that people didn't notice, but yeah. I really hid a lot. Yeah. At school, I just, I just remember going through the day, like trying to get through mm. the day. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was so hungry. I was like trying not to pass out most of the time, honestly. Really? And, um, so people didn't say anything. Uh, mm. my doctor people didn't say anything at first this was maybe about a year total i did it wasn't super long Mm -hmm. compared to some people really struggle with this for a long long time but um i it it was different sorry sorry i keep cutting you off i because whenever i hear about anorexia a lot of it has to do with like identity and image and yours had to do more with like control Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like when you're looking in the mirror you were frustrated that you weighed too much or was that it was also so it's it was control that was a piece of it i guess seeing the other girls who could run better self-hatred was another piece so when you get back to that feeling unwanted and feeling like like that internalized feeling right i didn't know how to express that at the time but i knew i just hated myself like i hated yeah everything about me like i hated how i looked um especially with and this gets back to like comparison with my sisters, which is just kind of a theme mm-hmm. throughout my life. But she's just very like fun, um, like contagious kind of person. Yeah. Very outgoing. I right. was quieter and shy. Um, so just there was a lot of like I just hated. I felt like everything I was was wrong, mm. <laughs> and that people I could see how people preferred something else. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was just really internalized for mm. me. So it was, there was an element of self-hatred yeah. for sure. I, it's, I mean, having an eating disorder is self-abuse. Yeah. It's abusing, it's, you're abusing the thing that you think is like worth hating. <laughs> did you, did you, this is going to be a weird question. Did I'm, you enjoy the pain? Because when I thought mm-hmm. about, when I was in high school 
I probably struggle, I think I did struggle with like self hatred too. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm hearing you say these things, it's weird because you don't think about it, and then you're like, wait a second. Yeah. So, so so like I would push myself in sports outside of practice to the point where I would mm-hmm. like be sick or I wouldn't mm-hmm. eat for several days just so that I could stay fit. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. and it was like it's I like wa- punishment of it, your, it, and your I would own tell self. myself it yes. was you you must punish yourself. I would mm-hmm. say that to myself all the time so that you can be whatever mm-hmm. you must punish yourself to be worth somebody's time so you can be not you yes basically so you could be to me it was so you could be something that people would be proud to see and not or, mm-hmm. or to to be associated with uh, and Andy, I, that makes me so sad yeah yeah and yeah. so and and so that's interesting because i'm like i would you know that the pain almost felt good it did it, it was it, it was, was addicting it was addicting. it's an addiction yeah, I was just about to say it's that an addiction. it was addiction to it yep. yeah interesting yep um joe we have a lot in common we do i know um, it's crazy i also crazy. am sad about that because yes. it was terrible <laughs> yeah this isn't something like a good bonding moment <laughs> oh there's so much in common i mean this is yeah. this is how yeah. people feel us alone is yes, like you're right. not alone in your pain and you think yes. you are like you think right. you're just weird and and probably no almost when I look back at high school, especially, probably like eighty percent of those kids hated themselves, and that you were that you're around, or even in college too. People are like they're trying to figure their life out, and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do or who they are. And they, you know, you got like our culture right now is just jacked up, and divorced parents all over the place, and people with a bunch of pain and hurt. And there's probably a lot of people that just hate themselves. And maybe if we just like brought that to the light and we're like okay like d- don't pretend like you don't hate yourself mm. like admit it at least because that's a real thing i i and thinking about it now i'm like i probably just hated myself because i couldn't gain approval from anybody mm-hmm. i could nobody would tell me that they're proud of me nobody would tell me that they loved me and so i was like i need to just earn this through pain and if you can't win it through pain then you're just a useless piece of crap and the problem was that you can't win it you can't gain mm-hmm. approval through pain and so you're probably yeah. going to get there in your testimony but. and i want to get back to something we also said before that so some of it is being unseen yeah um I, at least that was part of it for me I don't, I don't know if that was part of it for you, but there is, there's an, there is so much harm that comes to other people when people are foolish or selfish. Yeah. Um, because like, I mean, and even self-absorbed, like not even intentionally selfish or mean, Mm -hmm. but just absorbed when we're absorbed in ourselves in some way that hurts other people. So that was true for my parents. Like they were absorbed yeah. in their pain. They were absorbed in mm-hmm. their problems. They were absorbed in their decisions and their life. And I felt like no one was, yeah. I mean, like you said, you walk home or you get home and yeah, there's, it's just you. Like what, what are we doing <laughs> here? You know, cause yeah. everybody else is trying to compartmentalize everything that's happening. And I, and I, and just like what you were saying, it's, um, what was how I just learned this a couple months ago and it seems trivial but it's like I I realized that everybody's a victim of sin and a perpetrator of Mm -hmm. sin yes and when you're a victim of sin you're also probably a perpetrator of sin at the same time too so it was like when I look back at the at the time I was like oh I hate my mom because she's not talking to me and the comments that she would make was like we're probably me and your dad are going to probably get a divorce and these things that would like mess with my head and I was like "Who, who do you think you are and realizing now it's like okay 
she was a victim of sin mm-hmm. in that time period. Therefore, she became a perpetrator of sin because as human beings, even when we're trying to do the right thing, we do the wrong thing, too. Yeah. It was like her, her, your parents and my parents were all trying to get through this the best way right. they possibly could in that time period. And the best that human beings can do is still not great. And we mm-hmm. still end up hurting people. And that's that's a result of sin and sin nature and who mm-hmm. we are in in our sin. Mm-hmm. And I think like. That's when I realized that I started to have to realize like you have to. okay, it's made more sense of why I'm required to forgive these people, because while my mom was sinning against me and I was a victim of it, then I sinned against other people in my Mm -hmm. high school and I was a perpetrator of it. And so Mm -hmm. the the chain never ends. You're not the last part. Nobody's ever just the victim. They're always the victim and the perpetrator. Yeah. And I think. The forgiveness of sins, allowing somebody to to for, forgive you of your sins and forgiving other people of, of theirs against you, I think that's that's the right way of saying that, right? Allowing mm-hmm. people to forgive you, yes, yes, mm-hmm. receiving forgiveness or whatever, mm-hmm. and then also giving forgiveness. That's why I think Jesus talks about like not seven times seventy-seven, but like just do it a bunch because it doesn't. You don't. You just. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. That's a, a long rant. This is your testimony, <laughs> but I, but that makes that's like a lot of that stuff I, makes more sense to me, and I'm yeah. thinking through this now. Yeah, and I also just think it's so important to emphasize that no one's also just a perpetrator. Um, yes. Yeah. No one is just a perpetrator. <laughs> I mean, they're a victim too, yeah. and. S- it's easy oh, to view yeah. our stories of like I was the victim, they were the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. But it's so important to recognize that those people mm-hmm. were are also yeah. victims. And the beauty of the whole thing is that when you realize that you're the victim of the perpetrator, you can you can ha- you it allows I think through Christ allows you to understand grace to be like oh hold on am i gonna get so angry and bitter towards this person who's sinning against me now knowing that i do the same thing on a daily basis Mm -hmm. i need to give them grace the way that i wish that other people would give me grace i think that's what christ meant when he says love others the way that or treat others the way you want to be treated or and that kind of thing it's like that doesn't mean just like you know i want a million (laughs) dollars so give somebody a million dollars that doesn't solve problems Mm -hmm. but it's like the way that you want grace because you've been sinned against is the way that you should give grace when you are sinned against. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, that's interesting because these things can make no sense if you just go to Sunday school and the teacher's like, you understand grace, understand love. You're like, I don't get it. And then when you go through pain, you're like, and then when you realize other people's pain and you're like, oh crap, I get this. And this makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So actually this leads right up to the point where I did meet Jesus. So, um, the place I'm in at this point is that I have an eating disorder. I have no friends. Um, I don't really interact with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very alone mm-hmm. and also basically killing myself. Mm. So, uh, there was this one night where, I don't know. I just, I don't know what happened or if it was just a super low point. But I remember just like sobbing on my bedroom floor and um, like open, like loudly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember my mom came in. She like opened the door and looked at me and then just shut the door and left. I Whoa. think she just like didn't know what to do. Yeah. 
Uh, which makes sense because, I mean, at that point, I'm a mess. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well. And, um, but I think that was actually sort of a, I mean, that was a good thing in a sense. Because I remember at that point just crying out to God and saying, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But I can't, like, I literally can't go on. I don't know yeah. what to do. And... I think I said that out loud (laughs) or something like that. And I remember just being filled with this peace. I don't know if I'd ever felt peace in my entire life before that. Um, Because I felt so much relief from just like this aching, anxious, yeah, like internal, like emptiness. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I remember feeling or thinking or hearing God say whatever you, however you think that works. But I remember hearing God say, you don't have, you're not in control. You don't have to be like, it was a relief to me. You do not have to be in control. I'm in control and that's my job. Basically Mm -hmm. you don't have to do that. And, um, that was it. I just was like, okay, I, I was so relieved. And the next day I remember I went to bed. I think I just went to sleep. Um, the next day I, um, was reading, I read my Bible. I had a Bible. So I was reading the Bible and I found John sixteen thirty three, which says in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Yeah. Um, and that made so much sense to me. I was, I just was like, I'm in, I don't, yeah. you are the only person who has <laughs> Jesus, who has <laughs> acknowledged that there is suffering in this world like the world sucks like interesting i so i know a lot of people really struggle with like god and suffering but to me he was the first one who actually acknowledged the reality like the reality of it and said i have a solution for that yeah um and i'm with you and he was the first person who was with me yeah um i felt his presence with me and i we should talk about real quickly what that means because i think okay. there's a lot of things there's a lot of ways that people can take that and it's like we i know what you mean but like yeah i guess a more of an explanation being like okay when you hear when somebody says or when you're saying like god acknowledges your pain and he says that there's a way through it or mm-hmm. like what does that mean because i think a lot of people in modern christianity and in, in america today especially we want to pre- we want to present this idea of christianity that's like God's going to save you from all suffering mm-hmm. and pain now, right here. Yeah. And what does that mean, though? Because I know that that's not what that means. Right. And peace doesn't mean, uh, just real quick for reference, like the American, the English version of peace means the absence of war. But shalom means completeness and wholeness. It so, did feel like, yes, it feels like a security. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I know mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Right. Like, like it's it, good like, to clarify. Yeah, it's not like your everything just became perfect. Your dad no. came home, everybody got no. married again, and your family was like talking about all the issues, and uh-huh. they're like, "We love each other." But what does that? I yeah. guess what does that mean exactly? That's though? good. Um, so, what it, what I mean by the acknowledgement of suffering and also a solution to it was again like at this point, I don't know anything about theology. Yeah, I'm 15 years old. I. But what I learned from the Bible was that, and from the presence of the Holy Spirit, was that um, the world is the source. The world and sin and the flesh 
is the source of pain and suffering. And God, Jesus came and suffered himself to overcome that for us eternally. Mm -hmm. So um, not right now, but but he does walk with us in it now. Mm -hmm. So I felt very much that God was with me. Yeah. That I was still suffering, but God was, I had someone, I remember I just prayed all the time. I had no friends, but it was so exciting. I just told him everything I was thinking. I prayed all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like, it was things like, I remember just little graces of Jill, like, it's okay for you to eat that. You can eat that. I mean, I had an eating disorder. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you, if you have an eating disorder, you will be miraculously Mm -hmm. just healed one day by the Holy spirit mm-hmm. that could happen, yeah. but like, it's okay to have more help than that yeah. from a doctor. And I also saw doctors and nutritionists and stuff like that. But my point is like, he was walking with me in what I was needed discernment and wisdom in yeah. at that time. Yeah. Does that clarify what yeah, that's you were good. I think like, I think we should, I'm just thinking now like the, in this podcast, we'll like, we should do another podcast on suffering because mm. that's a confusing thing it for is. people. And suffering is usually when I read the Bible, you, you oftentimes see joy and suffering in this, in like together. The, it's, it's synonymous. Yeah. They're, they're mm-hmm. synonymous with each other. You're like, that's just stupid. That doesn't make any sense. So there is something to that. Mm-hmm. So another podcast coming okay. soon, everybody. <laughs> that's the second one. Are you keeping any track of this? I don't know. But that one yeah. needs to happen. I'm like yeah. down and we can do that. I one. feel yeah. I think that's very important and very confused in our culture. Yeah. And it's and great that you're talking about this because I don't, I mean, I, when I was in, you know, there's, there's this weird American expectation that things, like you said, probably the reason why nobody was talking about the issues was because there's the American expectation that no, that problems are like, they're, they're bad enough to actually not acknowledge them. And let them just destroy your family or who you are from within. Or that you're even... not equipped. I think people just feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know how to handle that yeah. for them. But that's not, yeah, that's not what anyone's asking is for you to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. So did you feel like you became a Christian that night? Or yes. Th- that, that was that, that was the turning point. Yes. Okay. So from that point, I started reading the Bible. I prayed all the time. I mean, I was filled with the spirit. Uh-huh. I mm-hmm. was learning about. Um, so you were like I was a sophomore in high school. Yes. Okay. I was, I got baptized. Okay. Um, I was learning about, um, I was in this Sunday school class that was sort of like, basically my pastors wanted to talk about some things they t- learned in seminary. <laughs> and so they had high schoolers who could opt into this class. It was yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. I learned so much theology in that class, but, um, I was already in that class just because I was a perfectionist in a church. So I did it, but then I was a Christian. So then I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I was reading like Wayne Grudem's Bible doctrine and like amazed, like just thrilled by what I was reading. It does. Sorry. I keep cutting you off (laughs) because I just feel so similar to you because it's like once you can know. So like my dad would have us like, we would read commentaries and like if we wanted to play video games, we'd have to write, mm. we'd have to read the Bible and then write stuff. And then he would have to approve it before we could play video games. And it's like really lame, but that's what we had to do. And it was like, there's like theology 
and it's cool. But there there was a point in my life similar to yours, like you you're doing the theology stuff beforehand, but then when your eyes are opened, this theology seems like mm-hmm. a whole new world to explore, mm-hmm. and it's an exciting thing. The less veil of a is burden. lifted. There's a yeah. verse about that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. Um, this is all just kind of by myself. But at this point, I also re- went back to that couple. I mean, I was still in contact with them. Mm-hmm. But um, I had stopped also going to their house at this time. Like, as I had an eating disorder and was just really withdrawing from everyone. Yeah. Um, but I remember them. Their response was, I came to their house once while I was still not doing well. And they said, we miss you. Like, you can come back whenever you want to. Um, like that was their response to me. So anyway, then after that point, I did start hanging out with them more again. Um, the man, the, the husband of the couple was in seminary at this point. So that was really where my love of theology started, um, was in later high school. So now I'm like a junior, I think. Um, and yeah, it was just my whole life was my whole internal life was different. I remember also at my dad's house, my stepmom, uh, she said at one point, she said, I don't know what happened, but you're so different. Like she could tell in my interactions with my sister, which was mm-hmm. always we literally hate each other, like like blood boiling hate hatred yeah. <laughs> toward yeah. each other. Right. And I was so, so cruel to my sister uh, in what I said and how I treated her and I ignored her and I was just really unjust toward her. And anyway, but she just noticed a difference and she's not a Christian that I know mm-hmm. of and made that comment. So very different in how I was interacting with the world and how I um, inter- my internal experience. Right. Um, then I started, okay. So now, I mean, this is in high school when I got saved. Yeah. I don't, do you want me to just keep, <laughs> keep talking? Well, I mean, I think it's helpful to know how that impacted your life. Okay, so like, great. yeah. And then from, from now you're saved. Yeah. You know, you finish out high school, you go to college mm-hmm. and then what? Okay. Well, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. You do all that right. stuff. Okay, great. So maybe um, like we're an hour. I think we're an hour in. Okay. Not that that matters. Okay. You can go five hours. Joey's just chilling here. Five hours. Joey's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> don't go five hours. <laughs> Joey's like, shut up. He's like, no, no, this this podcast, this one actually ends uh, just when you get saved. All the other ones go further on. Um. Okay. Well. I yeah. I'll keep going. So. Yeah, I, at this point, I will say this. I met my husband mm-hmm. as a senior in high school. So he had always gone to my church growing up. We, I mean, we knew each other. We, our brothers, our youngest brothers were friends and played at each other's houses. So I always knew he existed. But I started going back to youth group. And my husband never left youth group. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had. So I started going back and... um just I met him there and did like him at that time. Like 17, 16? Uh, this is uh, a senior in high school. So okay, like 17, 18. 17, um, We ended up going to the same college, and that was a coincidence. I didn't just follow him there. Yeah. I just feel like emphasizing that. Sure, because, sure, Jill. Okay. Uh, I, I started, yeah, I noticed him. UW. Like, yeah, UW-Madison. Nice. So I noticed him after we had already applied to colleges. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that'd be cool if we both went there. But um, 
So we, so, uh, during this time, as I'm in high school, late high school, entering into college, I am recovering from an eating disorder. So I basically, I felt convicted to eat three meals a day. (laughs) I still hated myself though. So I think that's important to emphasize. Like I was saved. It wasn't like all of my problems problems were gone. Um, I, Mm. the self hatred kind of turned into, I just sort of like accepted it, I think, because I didn't feel like I could act on it. So I ate normally and gained some weight, but just hated how I looked because I was not eating enough because I hated how I looked. So it just felt like, well, I'm just going to hate how I look. So I, I really like hid myself in a different way. Like I just wore really baggy clothes and was not very feminine. And at this point, my sister again comes up. She is very feminine and always has been into more of that kind of stuff. Um, and she's got like curly hair. She's very pretty. All the boys like her. <laughs> and my my uh, stepmom, like, kind of just brought, t- like, overtly out into the, like, just would say, like, compare us. Yeah. Basically, all the stuff that was kind of internal mm-hmm. up to that point became very external in my family. And um, she would openly mock how I looked and how I dressed and w- would say things in front of other people uh, would compare me to my sister. Um, it was really painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did, I still have a question. Mm-hmm. That's like my punchline in this part. So I have a question every, th- every <laughs> yeah. like two minutes. But I have a question because there was something, and, and maybe this isn't what you experienced or felt, but I still have a struggle with like clothing mm-hmm. because all of my life and this is a different way of seeing it but it's probably different i just didn't like i wanted to wear what i wanted to wear and everybody was always telling me what they wanted me to wear Mm -hmm. and there was and so do you like did you struggle with actual clothes like did you like this is a weird question i'm trying to figure out how to phrase it because i know i still experience it to this day like everybody would always try to tell me how to dress and they still do and I hate it, and I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear. Um, did you, like, purposefully wear clothes that were baggy just as a... Or was that did that have mm-hmm. to do more with other people? Or did that just have to do totally with how much you hated yourself? It was more that I hated myself. Okay. okay. But it was confusing because I also was part of a pretty conservative church. And yeah. this was, like, kind of at the purity movement. End of the purity movement. Um <laughs> And I just honestly... When Christians just stopped caring about people. <laughs> Basically, I mean, they well, don't care about it anymore. Yeah, we went the, the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we went the other way, which was not yeah, the, the right way. Yeah, the other extreme. Yes. Yeah. So I, I really embraced that, though, because I was like, great, I'm supposed to be modest. I will right. just... I have a reason I don't want it. it so it wasn't even out of holiness or pure... Like, yeah, just it like, was just like, I don't works. really want to yeah. show someone... Mm-hmm. I don't want to show myself off. I want to hide. Um, so that was really 
just became, I don't know how to emphasize this enough, but it became this like familial point of conflict again. So again, I'm sort of this like problem. problem. Um, I just, just dinner tables, conversations full of how I looked and how I wasn't feminine enough. And I don't, it just feels crazy to even talk about, but that was true. Dude, that's. (laughs) And, um, so I went to college with that in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So, um, but during this time, again, there's sort of this counter example of Tim, my husband. He was my friend in college. He was one of the only people I knew um, as I went into UW-Madison, which is huge. And we joined the same, like, we were part of Christian organizations together. Yeah. I was... <laughs> trying i mean i didn't trust anyone at this point so i was like i really liked him yeah and hoped something would happen but also was like probably not was it was it crew or was it weren't you in intervarsity i was in both crew and navs for a little while to check them out and then i ended up being in the navigators navigators okay uh again it was more comfortable for me because um to me, it felt as someone who felt ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> and not pretty enough and not popular enough and not funny enough or loud enough or extroverted enough. Um, crew yeah. felt or I, yes. crew felt very. I felt very alone at crew. Yeah, crew is like you have to be extroverted. So that wasn't. Right. I mean, it wasn't anyone's fault. Like there, yeah. I had friends and crew. Well, I'm not could, trying to yeah. blame them as yeah. an. I don't, we don't have to get. No, into I'm just, <laughs> you could say that if maybe no no college age ministries existed. And you just had a local church to go to. That's for a different podcast. Yeah. I'm so, kidding. Um, that so, has nothing to do with this, by the way, just so everybody knows. Go well, ahead. Swallow your rant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, anyway, I was part of both of them. That doesn't really matter. I didn't, I, this is again, just pointing out how I made decisions because of I, I was insecure. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that should say something about me Yeah. more than anything. Right. Right. Um, there were pros of both of them. Right. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of where to go from here. Okay. So during this time, I, okay, this is now I'm a sophomore in college. Tim and I are still not dating. We were friends for a long time. Still not dating. And you're both at the Navigators so both in, together. Both in the Navigators. Is it like coincidental or did you guys kind of know that we, this was? We, know, we knew each other. Were so, we were friends. Like yeah. we hung out. Okay. Um, so my sophomore year of high, or not high school, college, I... A, f- a couple of things happened that were really hard. So first, uh, the summer before our sophomore year, my husband, who we were just, we were just friends, but he went and worked at a summer camp and that's, this sounds so silly, but, um, it was a huge like abandonment trigger for me. I didn't realize that at the time, but I was like, not okay that summer. I just felt like he's gone forever and he's going to forget about me. Oh. Like we were really good friends up to that point. He was just gone. And it was and you someone liked who, him. You I really, yeah, yeah, I did really like him. He didn't, I don't know if he knew that, but, um, so that happened. I went into sophomore year, very depressed. Mm-hmm. And then also my mom very quickly, uh, met someone and within three weeks was engaged to get married. And that summer was like kind of off with him. 
I mean, I'm in college, yeah. so I can take care of myself, but it was a, like this. A lot of things changing. A lot of thing, people just who were there are gone. My yeah. mom was single for 10 years and always there for a while. Yeah. So wow. um, it just was another. Th- it just felt like there must be some. This always happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So then. Oh, so them leaving and doing these yeah. things felt like that was your fault again. Or, it was just another was like people are going to forget about me. Yes. No matter how much I try, no yep. matter how much they seem to be there. Yeah. It just is going to happen. Things are going to. Yep. That makes sense. And mm-hmm. it seems like no one's fault, really. Yeah. But I'm not important enough yes. for someone to stay. Right. So huh. uh, then. That I mean, then this. Tim obviously came back from summer camp and we went to the same college again and we hung back. out. So he came back to college. Yeah. <laughs> he came back to college. <laughs> um, but at that point he was hanging out. We were hanging out one-on-one. So we had a group we were hanging out with and then we started hanging out one-on-one and I was like, I just don't know. He, I don't even know if he likes me. What am I doing? Yeah. Had this kind of moment of reckoning. So I told him I couldn't be friends with him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and because I really liked him and I said I can't I can't just hang out with you all the time because it's really hard for me so I'm sure I didn't say it that eloquently at the time so then um, he asked me out a week later oh um, what a guy there we go <laughs> he had wanted to he wanted to marry me but felt like we shouldn't date a long time and we were still sophomores in college That's so he smart. didn't ask me out yet because we were friends and I was around and yeah so um, to fast forward through some of the story, then I, we got married when I was a June after my our junior year of college in the summer, and so we were married our senior year of college. We graduated, um, with Tim. I will say this, I don't. I mean, this isn't a podcast about relationships or marriage, but he was the first person who, the first person who like saw me mm-hmm. I felt seen by and noticed by and I knew he was opting in like my youth leaders I knew they loved me like mm-hmm. I f- could feel it mm-hmm. but they were also kind of my mom like talked to them and they were part of my church and yeah it just felt like he was he noticed me and like had questions it was so curious about me and yeah. really loved me and thought I was interesting and no one had ever felt that way about me before. <laughs> and on top of that, was willing to like permanently opt in, like you right. said. Like, like yeah. it, it wasn't some like we're gonna hang out for a couple yeah. weeks. Like you're you're in forever, mm-hmm. and that's like a huge gigantic yeah. thing. Yeah. So that was really just really redeeming for me, and um, I think I felt I think I bloomed a little bit after that like I just was more interested in being feminine I just didn't want to hide as much anymore I didn't feel like I had to Mm. so that was a shift for me that God used uh to really feel like that grace and presence Mm. through a person um and a transformation like Ephesians 5 talks about this that like that a husband is supposed to present his wife um like that's what Christ does with the church, like makes yeah. her holy and um, is, yeah. So I just, f- I feel that analogy really personally with, in my marriage and yeah. how it's healed me. So, um, okay. Then I'm trying to think of where to go. There's so many, 
it's been a lot of years since I got saved already. So it's like halfway through my life. Um, okay, so then I, after we graduated, we were newly married. Uh, another repeat of the same happened. My, uh, my dad and stepmom got divorced, but it was a, the same situation. Hmm. He suddenly left her. Their marriage was not good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it was, yeah, it was not good. But mm-hmm. he left her, and I, I remember him telling me that it was going to happen, or that he decided, to, that they decided to separate. And then, like, a week later, I got a call from my uh, stepmom with more of the story. Like, she called me, like, sobbing. And told me everything. We went to her house. My dad wasn't there. Um, and stayed the night. <laughs> and uh, this was a really um, pivotal moment for me. Because just like a month before, I remember I had... I just had forgiven my dad for the first time. Uh. Like I, I remember switched like so clearly switching from feeling angry toward him to feeling really sad and grieved for him and feeling so sad that he was so far from God and like just wanting him to come back. But it was, I was convicted by God that, um, I was angry and bitter and not forgiving him. And I was expecting him to be acting like a Christian when he wasn't following God. Right. <laughs> wasn't he didn't he wasn't obedient to God. So I yeah. I was expecting something that can't happen. So, so you so you forgave him. I and forgave him. You find out a month and later. And then a month later this happened. Okay. And right before that happened, it was that same week, I had this verse like just very clearly come in my head and I felt like it was for my dad. And it was Jeremiah thirty one and it's talking about how Israel has run away and has rebelled against God but that God longs for them to come back. Yeah. And it says, huh. one of the verse says, verses says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Um, and so I sent that. I was like, well, I'll just text it to him. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did that. But then um, in this situation, even though this is like some of my biggest pain in my life, um, I just felt so... I say this not to like puff myself up. This felt like transformation, like God redeeming things. Yeah. So I just felt like we had to be there. <laughs> uh, so we went to my stepmom's house or my, I mean, it was my dad and my stepmom's house and um, we stayed the night. Um, this one, I mean, this woman has, had not been kind to me for years and years. Um, the next morning, my dad came back to the house and I heard the garage door opening and I felt just like, it was like this, it felt like I was being pushed. Like, I felt like this empowerment of like, you need to go there right now and talk to him. And everyone else in the house was like, what do we do? <laughs> um, yeah. I ended up, yeah, there was some more family members there at that point. So. They were just hanging out basically at the house. And then he came back. Were yep. they expecting, were you expecting him to come back? We didn't know did, what was going to happen. Okay, so yeah. everybody's, this is another one of those situations where everybody's just kind of waiting around. 
or, yeah, or, or but there's I mean, more of an extra. There's more. We all know what's going on. There's here. more of it. We yeah. know what's going on. Okay. I mean, we're all adults now. Yeah. So yeah. Things. Yeah. So um, I went in the garage and just we. I said, I need to talk to you. And we talked and I, I shared basically just the passage about Jeremiah 31. Cause mm-hmm. it was, I felt like downloaded in my yeah. brain. So I talked, we talked about that. And I said, um, like, I think that's God's heart for you. And he said, well, I just have to decide what I want, which is true. Like you just got to decide. And that was it. So I felt like that was very resolved. Mm-hmm. In terms of I had done what I felt called to do. I don't know if this is important, so you can okay. tell me if you don't want to answer this. But, what, like, was there, like, significant things that your stepmom told you why they got divorced? Mm-hmm. Like, pretty significant things? Yes. Okay. So, you don't have I mean, to answer what was, those were specifically. But This was before they were divorced. It was, he had left. Okay. Everything kind of had blown up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm... Yeah. Trying to, yeah. You can this be, is, yeah. This is the part where it's like it interacts with other wanna, people's stories, yeah, you know? You, yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering because it's, it, it's like the patterns, okay, continuing. This is one marriage, now it's another marriage. It's it's so, so yeah. It, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, like, with the significance. It, it was it was a very, it was significant for me because it was this a similar situation, and I knew that both mm-hmm. times. So, um, yeah. So... I think mm. this time I felt like um, I felt the Lord it was very different I felt the Lord with me in it uh, in a redeeming way mm-hmm. and I I really f- when I look back I think of Jesus and like how he enters in how he just carries he like pursues us like even that passage of jeremiah is like you have run away from me and i'm i'm want you back like Mm -hmm. i want you to turn to me so um yeah i i think it's just it was really good i don't know what else to say about it but so it was also really hard and i remember feeling like it's gonna get harder before it gets better like that was just how i felt um so after that point um, I, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of where to go after that. Um, okay. Shortly after that, I started working at high point actually. I don't know if I should have said that out loud. I, well, I mean, I'm working work. at high point. Yeah, it's fine. Why would, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not supposed to keep the. That's okay. a, church it's a church in Madison, it's, Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows. Everybody okay. knows Nick. He's a world famous pastor. That's true. Right? He's I'm on kidding. this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> it's been. It was very punishing. Ninety percent of the people that listen so, to this are from High Point. Yep. So. So I um, started going to High Point before. I mean, I had gone to High Point before this for a while. Um, that I will be brief. That about High Point, even though it's been so. Working on the staff team was so foundational for me. It was kind of my first career job. Mm-hmm. And I came in. I don't know why. I literally don't know why Nick hired me. Like, I was not qualified. I was not good at what I was doing. <laughs> um, I felt... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say, like, he made a bad decision. He, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. But... Mm. And he has a teaching heart and like we're a teaching church, right? So mm-hmm. 
that's probably why I was very young and very inexperienced Mm -hmm. and, but it changed my life. Yeah. So, um, I just remember really being faced with my own problems, Mm -hmm. like my own dysfunction, my own insecurities and realizing how they are a sin. Like, like the way to overcome insecurity is to, confess it yeah, right. <laughs> to God right. and because it feels like you're a victim it feels like you're a victim and that yeah. people aren't being kind to you and that you're unwanted and they just don't want you around and like it's it's you're not believing the truth about the situation I found in my in my life that it's actually been much easier and this might be backwards but people might be different than this but for me it was much easier for me to confess sin to people than it was to confess it to God. Mm. And up until like three or four months ago, I just learned how to do that. Like actually confess sin to God. Mm. It made no, I you like you, it's, it's a whole yeah. thing. Cause to people you could be like, yeah, dude, I watched porn or whatever, whatever it is. And then they're like, man, I'm so sorry. Like, I love you. Well, and that's not really confession without confessing it to God. Right. right. That's yeah. the whole point. Cause then you're talking to people and you're like, it's they're the, going to be like, I'm sorry. Like, okay, man, like, I love you. Don't do it tomorrow. And you're like, okay, I'll go do it tomorrow because who cares? This person. It wasn't can, that bad. It wasn't that bad. Right. And, and to God, you can feel that I don't know from to me I don't know maybe you feel this but when you confess the sin you feel you feel the like pain of the of the sin because you can see God not God's I guess I don't see God's disappointment but rather just his hurt that God's hurt and sad and pain I've I've caused pain to God because I've shattered trust with him mm-hmm. and he's not yeah I mean he's angry over the sin as the wrath of God is the righteousness of God, whatever. But he's sad that, that, that there's now something between me and him, but confessing that to him, you feel, you feel the lament. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just a weird dynamic to it. Well, you experience the, you experience like the atonement and forgiveness of your sin. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, confession to other people, is important. It's very yeah, important. Yeah. But it, if it's not real confession of, I want to change and I need God. <laughs> Just move closer. Oh, to your thank you. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, okay. So if you if you confess to people, it feels nice because it's sort of a self justification thing. Like there, it feels like you, you feel relieved. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. There's a relief that comes with confession, yeah. which is real. This thing doesn't still have a, a grapple onto me a yeah. little bit. Like whatever it is, whatever sin it is, it's like you can tell it to somebody and it loses some of its power. Mm-hmm. But if you tell it to God and other Christians, it has no power because now that sin is revealed to believers and it is revealed to God then not that God didn't know that it was there already, but it's revealed to him and, and you mm-hmm. as one and you guys being together and seeing the sin mm-hmm. and it's revealed and it loses its power and over you where it's like, if you're not, if you're not revealing that sin to God, it's going to, it's going to, it could still be in the back of your head or whatever. I don't know. It mm-hmm. could still always be there messing with you. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. Yeah. So I, I think it's really important to recognize in a testimony 
like personal sin because that's what we're saved from. Yeah. Like, and what, what we talked about before, we're all victims, we're all perpetrators. And so for me, what I would perpetrate, well, first of all, I hated myself. And so I felt like people didn't want to be around me, yeah. felt unwanted. That can feel like their fault. Like it can, you can look at the, the world and see how people leave you and see how people forget you yeah. and think like, it's just because I'm terrible and I, there's something wrong with me, but also they're the one leaving. Mm-hmm. But, um, I didn't realize until really having to like, I kind of got this home and this family through working at high point. I mean, it's a church. I mean, mm-hmm. a workplace, I don't know if a workplace would normally be like this, but it's, it was my church. Too. That's high point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had these spiritual mothers and fathers and mm-hmm. sisters and had, I couldn't leave. Like I was employed, so I could quit, I guess. But like they, I had to show up again and again, and I hadn't realized until needing to work through that for years that, um, I, I emotionally abandon people all the time. Like, I feel like they're going to leave me or this is what's going to happen. So So I have a reason I can just do whatever I want and it won't Mm -hmm. impact anyone else because they don't care about me. Yeah. Which is not true, but that's how it feels. Or even more so what you talked about throughout your testimony is that instead of even allowing for the chance of somebody to be able to abandon you, you just cut yourself yes. off from everybody else, yep. no matter what. So that there was no opportunity mm-hmm. emotionally. There was no emotional vulnerability. Nobody knew who you actually were. And I, that's, I don't know how to explain this to you, Jill, but <laughs> this, we have, we do. We're very similar because I get what you're saying. Yeah. Everything there is it's like, okay, oh, here's how you make, like you want people to not abandon you don't attach yourself to anything yeah. don't open up to be anything aloof. be yeah. prepared like be prepared all the yeah. time but what that does it's not preparation that's callous and that's mm-hmm. bitterness and it makes you into hard like shell of a human being and when like right when vince you get afraid of abandonment like when vince left high point i cried and 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 cried, and cried, and cried in his office for like a long mm-hmm. time and that's so good i was like yeah yeah that's so good yeah and i was like yeah, vince you're leaving me and vince was like i'm not like well it was i was gonna say this too that the mindset of like self-hatred and, and like the victimization mm-hmm. and stuff it's like recognizing it's a real thing but also like i had to realize that like i'm not that significant Mm-hmm. That I'm the sole purpose for everybody <laughs> leaving and going to different places. Mm-hmm. Like Vince felt like that's what God was calling him to yeah. do is become a head pastor in Kentucky. Um, regardless of if I like liked that or agreed with it or whatever, mm-hmm. that's where he felt God was telling, like really pushing him to go in his next step in his faith and his sanctification. My significant Vince wasn't like sitting at home with his wife, like, all right, how do we get away from Andy? Okay, so let's go to Kentucky. And like, that's not what was happening. But it, sometimes we kind of try to like, we act like that's what's happening in our head mm-hmm. and it's not what's happening. And so it's like, you're not that significant to that somebody's going to leave to like a lot of times. That's usually not the case. And usually it's not actually as bad as you think it is. When I got that stuff out and I cried over it and I realized that I was just hurting because somebody was leaving, mm-hmm. then I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be more okay with you leaving because 
I know that you're doing the thing that is the most honoring to God in your life right now. And that's what I want from, for people. And so I don't know. There, there was something freeing about that when mm-hmm. I did that with Vince, but it's not, it's hard and it sucks. And it's not yeah, easy. Yeah. And insecurity is so deceptive because it, yeah. again, it feels like you're the victim, but it's actually sort of this self protection in a way, because yeah. it's something you can control. Yep. If you're the problem, you can control it. Right. You can withdraw, you can whatever. But if, if it's actually, hmm. if the pain is actually that someone chooses to leave, yeah, that's completely uncontrollable and mm-hmm. it hurts. Yeah, and so, like, you can be hurt by that. Right. And so, there's sort of like this weird, even though insecurity is terrible, like it does not feel good. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of this um, blanket for this underlying fear of abandonment. Yeah. Um, so I just really had to grapple with that. I worked at High Point for six years and uh, started, it was so, I didn't know this when I was applying for the job, Mm -hmm. but it was just the way that the circumstances I was in was just very much this redeeming like flip of so many of my life situations. So Mm -hmm. I started out in the communications role, which is, uh you did communications. I did. I know, Andy, you're going to think that's, I mean, I, I don't know. That's, I don't, okay, okay, what I said, say, I don't yeah. know why Nick hired me. Yeah, I that's don't exactly, know why. That makes sense. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't know how you, you go up on stage and give announcements. I did. It wasn't good. No, I, I'm not yeah. saying it was good or bad. I don't no, know. No, it wasn't good. What wasn't good, okay. I'm just going to say what that. What years did you do this? Um, I liked, I don't, I don't remember, 2015? It was a long okay, time ago. so I wasn't going no. to high point at the time. So it wasn't good, um, but it was this for me. That's crazy. I can't. It is, yeah. For me, it wow. was this. It was a like. You have to keep showing up. Yeah. And I was. I just always wanted to hide, huh. <laughs> but also I felt compelled to show up. Like I felt. I really do care about communicating truth. I love the Bible. Like I love the church. I hmm. so yeah. I felt um, I felt through even up to like this day. I just have was I'm thinking about this like literally this week. I feel I have to grapple with these areas in what I'm called, what I feel called to do, and the good works God puts before me. I have to grapple with my own feeling of being unwanted and my own feeling of not being enough or being the problem or like not being funny enough or pretty enough or Mm -hmm. loud enough or confident enough. Um, and I don't know. God has just like forced me to face that Mm -hmm. in the process. I have seen and heard people who like, I found my people. Yeah. Like I found people who are like, I, I know what that's like. Like I, because you got up and said that or because you didn't say it perfectly or because like Mm -hmm. you feel insecure. I, I didn't know anyone else was like that. I just thought something was wrong with me Mm because that's, that's the thing that I feel (laughs) and that you feel like you're the only one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've seen God really redeem it, but it's, and use it, but it's felt like really humiliating at the same time. (laughs) Um, and but in a good way. Like I've had to say, I've, I've felt like Moses or like Paul 
um, who they they t- they talk about in the Bible like not being eloquent or like God, why did you pick me? Or like David, yeah. he said, I'm going to go into battle without your armor. Like I can't wear that armor; it's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, there's I get there's just so many things about me that um, are counter. I, I feel like I'm my words are feeling right even now when I'm trying to talk about this, but it's just really forced me in a mm-hmm. healing way to continue to show up. Yeah. Um, in working, like in having this as my job, or I've had different roles over the years. Um, I've really felt this like push of I might not be the best one, but I see if I see a problem and I can do it. Like yeah. I'm gonna do it. And I don't know what God's going to do in that, but, um, I can, I always, I have in mind these people that aren't usually seen because that's how I feel going into the situation. So all that to say, that's been really redeeming for me um, because of my story. Yeah. Is Mm -hmm. that uh, one thing that like resonated with what you just said and that you like, because you love the church, you kept coming back and you were probably pretty terrible at communications and going up and doing this. And it was probably awkward and weird. And people, maybe people thought you were just not fit for the job. I don't they know. They did think that. And yeah, I mean, they maybe didn't tell they, me, but they, you could probably p- yeah. pick that stuff you up. Pick it up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that, that people are going to say this stuff and maybe behind your back or whatever it is. And like, but you love the church and you're going to, you're going to keep going back. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, I don't know. I, I, I think that's like, I don't know. I think that's really powerful because I don't think that people have that resilience very often. And I think that that's a, like when I, when I'm listening to your testimony, I'm thinking about my, my own life and, and I think about the people that I admire the most. Um, one time Nick talked about in one sermon, how he said, like at the end of your life, your testimony won't be most of our testimonies won't be based on all the healing that was done it'll be based on the fact that we never gave up mm-hmm. and i think i don't know i'm i want to cry right now because mm-hmm. i think about i think that the lot like i don't usually cry on these so you're like knowing that you love the church and thinking about the other people that like are like you and you're going to go back and you're going to keep trying and another day I don't know Hmm. I think that's what like when I I like doing the testimonies more than I like doing (laughs) the the topic podcast because that's what it's about to me what Christianity is about is not about the the like the testimony was never the perfect picture the testimony was the broken picture mm-hmm. the broken painter who kept painting and that's what it was and so and that's I'll what, stop talking no I'll that's that's what and that's what I feel so strongly the church is like I've been in my story I've been the most hurt by people who cared about themselves <laughs> or what people thought about them. And that, like, they feared man more than God. Yeah. Um, and they wanted something, and it wasn't, they didn't choose the right thing. Mm-hmm. 
and I felt like this is really hard, but like the church can be like that. Like it's another, it can be another platform. It can be, it can turn into a thing, like a a thing that people can Mm -hmm. do if you do it well. And if you don't, you're left out. Like, and that's like, I've had to grapple with that. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. And it's, it's, it hurts. It sucks, dude. (laughs) I talked, I mean, when I talk to people about this, I mean, I've felt almost all the time in High Point and in other places in the church as an outsider. Like, I've just always felt that way. And not because people are trying to make me feel like the outsider, but it was because I'm just not the same as everybody mm-hmm. else. And you're just not the same as everybody else. But the the bottom line of like what I heard you saying, and I, I, I try to have this mindset for myself too, is like, what, what, ha- when the next Andy Schmidt walks into the doors mm-hmm. of high point or the next, <laughs> or the next Jill, <laughs> who's going to, Who's going to be there to show them? Mm-hmm. Show them who Jesus is if I'm not there to show them who Jesus is. Right. Because you don't, you don't show them Jesus. You don't show them that Jesus is for them if you are trying to be like someone else and right. fit the, yeah. the mold. The narrative or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the mold of who, what a Christian should look like. Like Jesus didn't create all people the same. And Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of, of this world. And that's the beauty of Christ is that he's complex Mm -hmm. and unimaginably like weird and interesting. (laughs) And so are we. Yeah. And so for us to all fit into the mold of Christian is it's not a mold. It's a, it's, it's something completely different and it's Mm -hmm. not to be, there, yeah, there, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on on that too. Whatever, that's <laughs> coming coming soon. But uh, but, but I don't know. I I think that yeah. that's important. I think that that's an important. I mean, that's the most powerful message to me when I hear any testimony is like, uh-huh. what happens when the next person comes in, comes into the doors of the church and is like, I'm lost. I don't have anywhere mm-hmm. to go, and then they see Jill up on stage trying to do. The best job I can do. She's not good at it, but she got up and went. And that tells somebody else that they can get up and they can go and they can know who Jesus is, I think. And it's not to say, like, you have to do a terrible job. You know, it's like... Yeah, you can do a good job. I I think what has come... I've come back to... And in a lot of these situations, I feel like, God, why... I don't... Oh, how am I here? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I've just felt like that verse in Ephesians of do the good works. Like, you mm-hmm. do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you or in advance for you to do because you're saved by grace and not by works. Yeah. So, you just mm-hmm. walk in it. And I felt like there's these moments... I mean, right now. Mm-hmm. I, there's these moments where, like, either theoretically or metaphorically or whatever... Or literally, I have the mic and I don't know why, but Uh it's, I don't really want to have that sometimes, but you like have to show Mm -hmm. up as yourself even like, Mm -hmm. and that has made me grapple with how God has made me. Um, and that it's good. Like Mm -hmm. I had, I spent my whole life trying to be my sister Mm -hmm. and then I spent a long time trying to be other people at my point and it didn't work like there's ways I can improve skills and I did and I'm so grateful 
but there's also these things that only I can do. Right. And that's not even like a like self-confident message. It's just that I'm made some way and other mm-hmm. people are made like me and they're, yeah. you know, and so um, yeah. that's been the way that I've been seen by God and mm-hmm. seen, um, yeah, I just feel really seen by God and that is yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it sounds like, I mean, maybe the close, like your testimony is like grappling and I, th- I mean, there's a lot of like ways to look at this, but I think that there's some personality types that are more rare than other personality types. And especially in the church, I would always talk to John about how I felt like there was a personality bias at every church that I went to. And it was like the personality type that you had to be, the type of person that you had to be was not me. It wasn't Andy Schmidt. And so when I would walk in, I always felt like I should just walk out because there was, it was just a weird dynamic. And I think these stories being told out and like people maybe listening and realizing that like, well, like what you say does matter to people, how you treat people. Actually, you do represent Christ. The church is a representation of Christ, whether it's good or bad, you represent Christ Mm -hmm. and we don't want to do a bad job at that. And so, you know, figuring out like grappling with your identity and realizing that God still sees you even when you're not the same as everybody else is like, that's true for you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, do you have anything? I, I don't know if you, are you done? Or do you have anything else you want to say? <laughs> um, I, I uh, no, I think I'm, I think that's it. I think I really want people to know just that, like showing up. Yeah. I mean, showing up when other people showed up in my life, it saved my life. Yeah. And there's ways that we will be called to show up to and mm-hmm. it will be scary and it will feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it will, might be humiliating. Right. Um, All those words that you just described are exactly what Jesus looked right. like in the scriptures. Humiliated, and, yes. scary, and it just looked like a horrible, horrible time mm-hmm. for him and uncomfortable. And, and for the joy set before him, he, in, he endured, endured the cross and scorned its shame. Yeah. And so just walking in what God has put in front of you. Like often it just feels like it's put in front of me and Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I can see how God uses it and he equips me for that moment. And that's Mm -hmm. what he does for everyone. It's not like I'm a special snowflake. Um, so I, I, that has been so redeeming and healing. Like that's how I've been healed is through that process. Yeah. And walking with other people. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Great. Well, I cried more in that podcast <laughs> than I've done any other podcast, so hopefully it'll make everybody feel uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, I apparently am good at being awkward and feeling people feeling uncomfortable. So yeah, there you go. So well, good. just it fits. It fits. Yeah, great. That's awesome. So, um, Jill, thanks for doing uh-huh. this. Thanks for coming on. Obviously, you're going to be on more Optive podcasts, but um, yeah, I guess that's it then, right? So make sure to like and subscribe and share and share this with your friends and tell everybody about Jill and all that fun stuff. Um, We'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.